Thank you, Pastor Mark. Brother, I missed you for the last couple of weeks. I was eating lunch solo. <laughs> uh, you know, I really, uh, really uh, him not being at church really, again, confirmed and reminded me he does so much for our church and that we are so thankful and for his family. So let's, again, uh, thank Pastor Mark, all right, for all he does, all right? All right, yeah. So... Um, couple of things real quick is that uh, we still have shirts that we are uh, available. Uh, I know that most of the people that, well, all the people that came to the picnic yesterday uh, bought one, but we still have some available if you want, want one. And uh, I believe uh, some uh, are wearing it. And so, you know, you could just check it out. It's really nice. So we're thankful for that. Um, and so one last thing is that uh, this coming Thursday... Uh, you know, we're driving to Atlanta to drop off our daughter. Uh, so we will not be here this Sunday. Uh, physically, we'll not be here, but our heart and our spirit will be with you. And so uh, be praying for us for safe travel from here to Atlanta, Georgia. It's about 12-hour drive, and our daughter is, we're going to, it's uh, bittersweet, bittersweet. It's, uh, you know, it's sweet that she's going to, she's starting a brand-new journey. Uh, that God has been preparing her for her for this time. Uh, she's 18 and she'll be a fr first year in college. But it's bitter uh, for G and I because, you know, uh, so for 18 years she was with us. Now we're going to be empty nesters. And so uh, it's going to be one of those tear-jerker moments, you know. And so uh, be praying for us, all right. And so uh, when we come back, UBC, you need to comfort us. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And so be praying for that. And then I want to encourage all you men, uh, we started a great thing. He who began a good work will not stop until he completes it. Amen? That's what God said to Timothy. And so he began a good work in our church, and he's not going to stop until he completes it. And one of the work that he started was fixing up the Children's Worship Center. So I really highly encourage you uh, to join us. Uh, to come at 9 o'clock, men, and some of the ladies, if you can come and join us, that would be wonderful too. Uh, did a fantastic job of cleaning the nursery. But we still need a lot of cleaning because, because this is a wonderful, beautiful church that God has gifted us. And we need to be wise and faithful steward of what he has given us. So I highly encourage you to be here at 9 o'clock and uh, you know, let's do this thing, all right. Let's pray and then we'll go into our message series. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning that you have blessed us with. Thank you, God, that you have blessed us with this beautiful, beautiful building, the house of God. And God, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. We are so thankful. And God, we thank you that we are able to worship you freely. I thank you for the worship team that led us to praise and thanksgiving. So, Lord, we ask that you'll continue to uh, bless our worship as we give you honor and glory. Bless this message for your purpose, for your glory. And now may the, may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant may be pleasing to your sight. In the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Have you ever, have you ever walked into a place and saw a beautiful bowl of juicy apples sitting on the table. I don't know about you, but nothing feels good to just take a nice bite out of this fresh apple. If I wasn't speaking, I would probably take a bite at it right now. But you wouldn't want me speaking with my mouth full. Right, amen? But as you look at it, it is beautiful because there is not a single mark on them. As you look at this apple, there is no single mark of flaw. Did you know, though, however, one or two may contain worms inside the apple? I don't know if you ever taken a bite of an apple and you saw a worm, but there are times when out of thousands of apples, when you take a bite, there may be a worm inside. Now, among the thousands of apples grown each year, some of them does contain worms. Although some producers try very hard to prevent this problem. 
Lots of people think the worm works inside, into the ins- inside, or out- from the outside to the inside. So the worms kind of crawl from the outside and goes in, perhaps in the middle. A lot of people think that. But it has been discovered that the worms come from the inside. The worms come from the inside, not from the outside in. When the apple blossoms on the tree, the insects come along the, way, along the way and lays an egg on it. Sometime later, the worm hatches its the heart of the apple, then eats its way out. Sorry to be so descriptive and, disc- and gross. You may have now second thoughts about biting an apple. But it comes from the inside. In the same way, what I would like to submit to you this morning, my dear brothers and sisters, sin, like this worm, begins inside of the heart. Sin is not birthed from the outside, but it is birthed in the inside of your heart. And that's where it comes out. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus said this very carefully. He says this, if you turn on the next slide, for out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts. Out of the heart comes out evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, meaning lies, slander. In other words, insults. Jesus did not say evil thoughts come out of evil mind or in the mind. We naturally think naturally think that evil thoughts come from our mind. But Jesus is saying that, no, because it's a far more deeper issue. It is birthed out. From the heart. Jesus, knowing this is a big problem, especially with Nick and rest of the creation, he knew this was a big problem and he decided to, he needed to address this problem. And so he gave a sermon specifically known as the Beatitudes. All of you know, if most of you know, know that this is the greatest sermon that Jesus ever gave. He gave it on the, on the top of the mount, the mountainside, and that's why naturally it's called what? Sermon on the Mount. You heard me say this before. And so he decided that this is the sermon that I have to address, and this is something that the people have to see and learn and take care of this heart issue that is the problem. Now in this sermon, as we know, it is called the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude is a translation from Latin word, bitas, which means blessed. And in this sermon, he begins by saying blessed from verses 3 to 11. He says, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, from 3 to 11. He talks about who are the blessed. And as you look at text, okay, who are the blessed that Jesus Christ is talking about? But this morning, we're only going to cover verse 8, specifically addressing the heart issue. And in this sermon, we will discover how we, dis- we address the issue of the sinfulness of the heart. As I was preparing this or as I was reviewing this message and reading this text very carefully, okay, Jesus, I need to do some serious surgery of my heart because there are times my heart is not pure. There are times my heart is not clean. There are times when as a result of my heart being unpure, evil thoughts come out because it starts from here and then comes into my mind and then what? It gives birth to sin. It takes that step process. One, two, three. And so Jesus, I said, I need your help to deal with this issue. And Jesus said, okay, Nick, I'll give you the antidote. I'll prescribe you an antidote how to deal with this sinfulness of the heart. So here's the question for all of us. If your doctor prescribes you a medicine, and I'm sure a lot of you in this place, including myself, have to take medication for our Certain conditions. Some of you take for high cholesterol for myself because it's part of my genes. Some of you take high blood pressure medicine. Some of you take uh, some other medic- medicine that controls your heart or, or, or your, you get plagues and so you need to clean it. And so you are in medication. And as you are in medication, why do you take those medications? Because the expert, the doctor says what? 
as they, as they diagnosed and gave you a checkup and gave you a thorough blood work, they said, okay, you need to take this type of medicine. The doctor prescribes it to you. And most of you who are medication, listen to your doctor and take the medicine, right? Cholesterol medicine, high blood pressure medicine, glaucoma eye drops. I could go on. Some of you, you take it for diabetes, and I could go on and on over the list of medicines that you all take, including myself. And because you've been prescribed those medicines by a doctor, by an expert, what do you do? You take it. Because if you don't take it, you end up in what? In the emergency room. I've heard some cases. I know some people that were uh, supposed to take uh, high blood pressure regularly, but decided not to take it for about a month, and she had a stroke and had to go to the emergency room and get that treated. So you all know if a professional, such as a doctor, prescribes you a medication, you take it. You listen to him or her. So here's my point. How much more do we need to listen to Jesus when he prescribes a medication dealing with your heart? How much more? And if you remember what Jesus says, he says, I am the what? The ultimate physician. There are many physicians out there. There are excellent doctors out there. And there are excellent staff in the hospital. Those are all good. But I am the ultimate physician. And therefore, when he says I am the ultimate physician and that he is the almighty God, you and I better listen to him. Amen? 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 When he prescribes a medicine for us to take, then we better take it. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, our morning's text this morning. Jesus said, if you see, see in the first, I underlined it, he says what? Blessed. He said blessed. Now let me press the pause button here and do a word study. What does Jesus Christ mean, blessed here specifically in this context? Again, from 3 to 11, he said, blessed, blessed. And so what does that mean? Blessed means here in this context. Most people would understand blessed as they think the word is happy. Blessed is being happy. So some, even some translations will say, happy are you, happy are you. But happy, for me, is I understand it, is part of emotions. It's part of emotion. How you, so it's how it determines how you feel. If you feel happy, you're going to feel happy. If you feel sad, you're going to feel sad. If you feel angry, you're going to feel angry. So it's part of this emotion, happiness. So for me to say, to read this text as happy are you, happy are you, Jesus is not saying that, it, again, it's not about happiness. Rather, he's declaring that what God thinks of you. So the question is, what does blessed mean here when Jesus declared that this is what God thinks of you? The word blessed here means to be approved or approval. So when Jesus Christ is saying to you and to me, blessed are you, he's saying that you are approved from God. In other words, God puts a stamp of approval in your life. Isn't that great news, brothers and sisters, that you have been approved and God approves of you and he puts a stamp of approval in your life. Amen? I don't want to go here, but I have to say this. Politicians, what's their number one concern? Their approval rating. Isn't that to be the case? They're always looking at, am I approval rating? Am I 50, 60 percent? Or am I low, do I have a low approval rating of 30 percent? They're no, their number one concern, they're not so concerned about making changes for us, but their number one concern is about them. And the number one concern is about, am I getting approving rate? How is my approving rate? Do you hear me? I told you I didn't want to go there because <laughs> some of you guys are... But for us as God's children, 
our approval rating from God is always high. It never fluctuates. It never fluctuates. Our approval rating from God is always high. Matter of fact, Max Lucado, some of you know him, an author and a pastor, said it perfectly. perfectly. He said, it is receiving applause from heaven. Remember Paul also says that you have great saints, the clouds watching over you. So it's exciting that you have, we have the, the saints of heaven, that we have God in heaven watching over us. And as Max Lucrator put it perfectly, he says, way to go. Way to go, UBC. Way to go, church. That's encouraging. I remember last year, some of you know by now that I like to play golf. I remember last year, I was, uh, if some of you who plays golf or are familiar with the golf, is that the first tee is always nervous. Because you're, it's that first tee, and it's kind of, some, some courses, it's, it's intimidating. There's some sand on the left and right, and there's water, and it's long, and sometimes it's uphilly. And then you're standing there. The reason why it's intimidating is because you got the, the ranger who watches the courses there. And then you got some other people, like 10 people watching you hit that first shot because they're waiting for you to tee off so they could tee off. So I'm there. We got, at that time it was busy. It was about 20 people waiting. And we got some people back there and people are sitting at, at the same time drinking coffee or whatever. And I'm standing there in the first tee and I'm looking and, and it's intimidating because I'm the, if I hit it to the left, I'll hit it to the, where the, the sand is. I don't want to go be the, where the sand is. And if I hit it short, then I'm going to hit it into the, to the lake. So I need to drive over the lake. And so I'm standing there ready to hit my shot. And, there I, and when I look back with my right eye, I see a bunch of guys looking at me and say, let's see this, what this guy can do. You know? So I'm there. I'm okay. I'm not going to show that I'm nervous. And I'm standing there, and I hit a beautiful shot. I mean, it is a monster drive. I, I flew over that water, and it was as straight as an arrow, and it was close to 300 yards. Some of you who, who play golf, they're going to say, that's pretty good. And all of a sudden, I hear this <laughs> clapping. All these guys clapping, you know. And then and when I look at them, they're putting their thumbs up. It's like, nice shot, nice shot. And I looked at them and I said, now I can go home. Because <laughs> I made a good shot. But you all know what I'm talking about. It feels good when someone claps for you. It feels good. It feels good that someone recognizes what you have done. You know, it feels good that someone celebrates with you of your accomplishment. You all know what I'm talking about. Brothers and sisters, if we believe that God is a mighty God, and He is the most powerful being in the world, and that He approves of you, and he accepts you. And he applauds you from heaven. Then why do we seek approval from someone else or the approval of men or women? Do you, are you hearing me? But the problem is we're so busy seeking for approval from someone. Isn't it to be the case? We don't need to find, look for somewhere else because we got a stamp of approval from God Almighty. Amen? Amen? When I was a young man starting a, 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 in, in the uh, ministry, and, uh, you know, I was early 20s, maybe 22. Started, I was excited to do ministry. I, was, I thought I had this grand vision, I'm going to save the world. You know, 21, 20, who knows, <laughs> does he know any better? <laughs> Very idealistic, thinking that I can change the world, and I get all excited and pumped up. But I found myself always seeking the approval of older pastors because they went ahead of me. I, 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 I went to seek approval from even my peers, my fellow pastors, even my friends and church members. I see myself doing that. And as I was doing that, the Lord continued to remind me and just says, he's, Nick, 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 why are you seeking approval from men? Why are you seeking approval from people? When 
I already blessed you. When I already approve of you. Because you're mine. You belong to me. And that's the question that perhaps the Lord is asking you this morning. Some of you have been busy running around like a chicken without a head. You're doing stuff so that you could seek approval. Whether it may be your coworker, whether it may be your employer, whether it may be your friend, or whether it may be even be your pastor or the church. And the Lord is saying, why are you seeking? Why are you so busy seeking approval of people? If you are, and you came with that this morning, God is saying, you don't need to do that anymore. Amen? Because you are my child, you belong to me, and I approve of you. Amen? Come on, church, you could do better than that. But here's the question you may be thinking at this moment. Pastor Nick, who are the blessed that Jesus is talking about in this text, in verse 8? Jesus answers that for us as you look, continue on verse 8. And he says what? Blessed are the what? Pure. Pure in heart. Okay? That's verse 8. And if you have your text and if you see that, in your, you highlight that word pure. The one who is pure in heart are approved by God. I remember Pastor Mark, he gave a sermon uh, before I came and he talked about how God looks at the inside rather than the outside. What does men do? They naturally look at the outside rather than the inside. And it is the wor- uh, reflection of our world today. Isn't it to be the case? The world looks at the outside. The world judges people according to the outside. They don't judge according to the inside. If you walk into a car dealer and you are wor- wearing a sh- shorts and T-shirt, the salesman is not going to look at you. But if you walk in with nice slacks, a nice shirt, or even a suit, you walk in and the salesman is all over you. Amen? And if you're a lady and you wear a fine dress and you walk in there, then all the, all the salesmen will be coming at you, right? But if you come in with sloppy sweats, right, your hair is not done well, and you're wearing an oversized T-shirt that is kind of hanging to your knee, you think the salesperson will come and say, can I help you? No. Because they judge according to how you look in the outer appearance. Even in corporate America, right? Who are the CEOs? Who are the VP? Tall, right? So I can never be a CEO, okay? (laughs) It's all right. I got Jesus on my back. Amen? Amen, amen. Amen. But you all know what I'm talking about who are working in a corporate America, right? They judge by how you look. But Jesus said, God and the Father and Jesus said, no, 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 no. Men look at the outside, but I look at the inside. When he chose Israel's first king, what did he do? He he looked at the inside. When When you called me to UBC, you didn't look at the outer appearance of me, but you looked at the inside, Amen. That's what UBC does. We don't judge by the outer appearance because even though there are people that are good looking and beautiful, if their heart is ugly, then there are ugly people. Amen? But even though the outside, you may not be attractive, you may not be attractive or good looking, but if your heart is beautiful, then you are beautiful. Amen? That's how God the Father judges. And that's what Jesus Christ says here. Blessed are the one what? Pure in heart. The one that he finds approved is the one that in your heart is a pure. So the question naturally arises then is this. What does pure mean according to Jesus in this specific context, verse 8? First, Jesus draws out from the Old Testament, specifically from Psalms chapter 24, 
verses 3 and 4. You'll see it behind me. David says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? He's asking a question. Who can go up to the Lord? Who may stand in his holy uh, place? He's asking that question. And he answers his own question. And he says, the one who has what? Clean hands and pure heart. A person that has a pure heart can be ascend to the mountain of the Lord. A person that has a pure heart can be in the holy presence of God. You see, that's what James is, uh, excuse me, David is teaching us. The Hebrew word for pure is bah, which means pure and clean. Jesus is pointing out, by making a reference to the Old Testament, he's saying it's all about being clean inside. You see, it's not about being clean outside, but it's about clean inside. And he was looking at the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees, and he was looking at them directly in the eye and says, you guys, what matters and what's important to you is the outside because that's what you're concerned about, the outside appearance. And matter of fact, you even criticized me because my disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. But Jesus is saying, What's important to you, to man, it is not important to me. You guys, it's important for the outside, but for me and God the Father, it is the inside. So brothers and sisters, beginning with me, I'm not asking your heart is, I'm not asking if your hand is clean. What I'm asking you this morning, you and me is, is your heart clean this morning? Is your heart clean? It's not external cleansiness that determines a person to be clean or unclean, but rather it's the matter of the heart. And Jesus taught this specifically to the religious leaders that was listening and to the crowd. Second, Jesus draws out further meaning of purity. The Greek word for pure is kalaredos, which means pure because unmixed, without undesirable elements. Spiritually clean because purged or purified by God. In other words, free from contaminated influences of sin. Do you see what Jesus Christ is doing here? He's putting, bringing the Old Testament and he's bringing the New Testament into Hebrew and Greek together. And he's saying this. And he takes a further step further and he's talking about your devotion to God here means pure and cannot be contaminated with sin. That's what he's talking about here. Not only your heart, your heart has to be pure, but your devotion to God must be pure. And it must not be contaminated with sin. And he's saying further, your loyalty should not be divided, but single-minded in your devotion to God. Does this, sound, does this sound familiar? Remember later on, James, his younger brother, said the same thing, didn't he? When he says, you double-minded. That's what he taught to, his, to the Jewish congregation. He rebuked his church because they were double-minded. He remembers the teaching of Jesus Christ. He said, you cannot, have, you cannot be loyal to Jesus and be loyal to the world. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. You cannot divide your heart. You need to be single-minded. You need to be single-focused. And your loyalty either is for God or for the world. And that is a decision that you need to make. And that's what Jesus Christ is calling out. Amen? So where is your devotion to this morning? Where is your loyalty this morning? Is it divided? Is it contaminated? Or is it single-minded, single-focused, and you're loyal to God? 
Brothers and sisters, we must stay away from anything that hinders us from drawing closer to God. And another question that I have to ask is, are there anything in your life at this moment, in my life at this moment, hindering me from drawing closer to God? Are there anything? And if there are some things in your life right now that is hindering you from drawing closer to God, then you need to remove it. You need to get rid of it. It can be that you're in a bad relationship and that is hindering you big time. It can be in your workplace where you are working and that is hindering you from drawing closer to God. It can be some kind of activity that you are doing that is hindering you from drawing closer to God. It can be your attitude, your mindset. It can be that those things are hindering you from drawing closer to God. What are the things that are hindering you from drawing closer to God? And as you recognize it, and as the Holy Spirit convicts your heart, then you need to get rid of it. Amen? And when we do so, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. The Bible defines the heart this way. The Bible defines the heart this way. The Bible defines in a way that the heart controls your mind. Your mind does not control your, your mind. It is the heart that controls your the mind. And it is the, the, it is the heart that controls your emotions as well. Jesus says, out of your heart, your ability to think, feel, and make decisions. That's why Jesus is addressing the heart here. Because it's all from the heart. You see? So to be pure in heart means our minds, feelings, and all of our actions are concentrated on God. So if that's why he says all of your heart and it cools all of your mind. I know some of you or some of us are obsessed with something or someone. It may be sports or maybe food or maybe someone or something. I know a lot of golfers who are obsessed with golf. And, 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 and they're always thinking about golf how to improve their game, how to purchase a new equipment. And they're always thinking about golf, and they're always looking online for the best deals so they could take time off from their work and go play golf. It could be golf, but for some of you, it could be something else. If your mind is always, it, there is always flooded with things that I want to do this, I want to do that, or you're thinking about it, then you are obsessed with it. But, what Jesus is saying is this. What should dominate in your heart is not something or someone, but God. Amen? Let me take you back to memory lane in the Old Testament. Why did God approach Abraham and said, you have one son, Isaac, and he said, I want you to sacrifice, and says this, your one and only son. Why did God ask Abraham to do such a cruel, insensitive thing of sacrificing his one and only son? The moral of the story is because Isaac became an idol in his heart. God was he was he was in his heart. But when Isaac was born, Isaac came in and pushed God away from the, his heart. Therefore, God loving I, uh, Abraham so much, he says, I want to be the one that reigns in your heart. I want to be the one that is one and only. But I see that Isaac has taken my place. And so he tested Abraham. And he says, sacrifice your one and only son. And Abraham, acknowledging and recognizing 
that what he did, what he did. He said, God, I will sacrifice my one and only son. Because I want you and you alone to reign in my heart. And I know that you love me and I love you. And I know that you are a miracle. So even though that I sacrifice my one and only son and I do it for you, that you're going to bring him back to me. You see. And so as you, all, as you remember that, as he was up in there and ready to sacrifice his one and only son, what did God do? He intervened. And he said, you don't have to do that. Now I know your heart. That's what God does. You see? God intervenes in your life. You have to remember. So the question naturally arises, beginning with me. What is something that you are f- obsessed about in your heart and your mind that is pushing God away? And God is pleading with you this morning. Can you remove that? Can you sacrifice that? Because I want me to breathe in rain in your heart. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, God, that's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves you. He wants to be the one and only. And so here, Martin Lloyd-Jones said it perfectly. If you turn in the next uh, slide, he says this, Blessed are those who are pure, not only on what? The surface, but in the center of their being. And not at the source of every activity. Did you catch that? What Jesus is calling for you and I is a radical heart for that which result in a clean and a pure heart. And Jesus wants nothing less because as he concludes in his teaching as Beatitudes, he says this in verse 48. He says, be perfect, therefore, as what? Your heavenly Father is perfect. You heard me say this quote. You heard me quote, heard, quote, this, quote this passage over. Humanly speaking, this is impossible. How can you and I achieve perfection? But that's what the Father desires. What Jesus is calling us is that we ought to strive for perfection. Strive in perfecting the purity of heart. Strive to perfection in the cleansing of our heart. So the question is, how do we strive for it practically? What can we do practically to strive for perfection in the heart? Two reasons I want to give you. It is by casting ourselves on the grace of God and receive his radical transformation that only God can provide. Remember last week's sermon? The Greek word for casting is throwing at something to someone, knowing that someone will catch it. That someone for us is God. So we are casting ourselves to God, and then as we do that, he would transform our hearts. Second, we must ask God to implant and nourish Jesus' character in our lives. Some of you have implants on your, on your mouth. Some of you have implants of your teeth or your tooth, whatever. They're implants so that, that allows you to chew, that allows you to endure the food. You have those implants. So in a similar way that we're asking God, God, I want you to implant in my heart the character of Jesus. That's the only way that you and I are going to be able to strive to be more like our Father, to be perfect. The outcome of purity of heart is that we will, what? See God. That is the good news. If you and I are pure in our heart, God, Jesus says, you will see God. We will see God as we become pure in heart. 
But the more we become pure, the more we will see God. We will see God in every way, in our different experiences. Now, we may not see God in, uh, physically, like, in, like Moses when he saw experience in the burning bush. We may not see God in physically, but we will see God through experiences. Notice in Psalm chapter 29, if you turn to the next slide, David said this in verses 3 and 4. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. Sometimes when I hear the thunder, I will kind of say, that's God speaking. The Lord thunders of the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. When David saw, when they, excuse me, when David saw and heard the thunder, he saw God in it. The reason why he saw God in it is because God created the thunder. Continues, the voice, verse 7, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. So not only in the uh, thunder, but also David saw in the flashes of lightning. That's how God see, speaks, and that's how God, we can experience that. Amen? But we also see him in different ways or different types of events as well. Perfectly in the heart of God, all right? But we will see also in different experiences, in different ways. Notice in Job in chapter 40, verse 42, and verse 5, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. The point that Job is saying is that he will see God through trials and tribulations. He will experience God through trials and tribulations. So I want to encourage you this morning, as you are going through trials and tribulations, as you are going through some difficult moments, as you are going through difficult experiences, don't complain about those experiences. Don't complain about those trials and tribulations. Rather, see God working in those trials and tribulations. Amen? Brothers and sisters, the pure our hearts become, the pure the hearts become, we will see God. Amen? But ultimately, one day we will see God. I love how Job puts it in Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 27. If you turn to the next slide, he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen? And that in the end, he will stand on earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Amen? I myself will see him with my own eyes. And I and not other. How my heart yearns within me. Brothers and sisters, may that be the prayer of our hearts. That we yearn. That we strive to see God. And as we do so, we will. We will. Some of you wear glasses because you can't see, right? If you take off your contact lens, it's going to be a blur. Some of you may wake up in the middle of the night, you're bumping, and, and, and you, as you're trying to go to the restroom, right? Have you been there? You, you step on the, your shoes and your flower, and you can't see because, again, you need to wear your glasses or your contacts. And the doctor prescribes you doc, uh, uh, glasses or contacts, and after you put them on, you see very clear. So the question naturally arises again is this. What about our spiritual sight? 
how is your spiritual vision? Because if your spiritual vision is kind of blurry, then you cannot see God working. That you cannot see God working in the background. But if your spiritual eyesight is clear, like if you put on the contacts or your glasses, then you can see. So the question that I have to ask is, how do I put on spiritual glasses or spiritual contacts so that I can see clearly what God is doing, so that I can see him and experience him? So I'm glad you asked that question. So I'm going to give you four practical steps that you can follow to wear those spiritual glasses that you can see clearly. First is this. Be honest to yourself. Be honest to yourself, but more importantly, to God about your heart's condition. Go up to God and say, you know what, God? I just need your help in my heart. Because my attitude is not right. I still hold a lot of bitterness in my heart. I still hold a lot of anger in my heart. And so when people rub me off in the wrong way, then I lose patience and then I get angry because there's some heart issue that's going on. And Jesus, so God, I need you to do some work in my heart. So be honest about your heart's condition. Be honest with God because he already knows your heart anyway. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your condition of your your heart. If you're not sure about the condition of your heart, just say, Holy Spirit, you are in me, and I need you to do some some inventory in my heart, examine my heart, and just let me know what are some issues that I need to deal with so that I can go to God and ask him to, to do some major heart surgery. Is your heart pure? Is your heart in a single focus on God? Second, believe only God can make your heart pure. It's not you. It's not anyone else. But only God. Only God can make your heart pure. You have to do your part. You have your responsibility by going to him and asking. But only God can truly make your heart pure. It's not about our efforts, but it's going to God, and only He can do it. Third, allow God's Word to fill your heart. Allow God's Word to fill your heart. Because only when the God's Word has filled your heart, and as you meditate upon it, and as you interact with God's Word daily, then that's how you are cleansed and purified, you see. Nothing else is going to make you clean. Only the Word of God. And you have to be in the Word of God each day. Amen? For envision what you will be like in eternity. That will be your hope to going on living with a pure heart. Envision that one day, One day that your heart is going to be pure and clean just like your heavenly father. Envision that. Envision that. Some of you, you know, think about planning about vacation. You envision, boy, it's going to be great next week when I go to vacation. It's going to be great next week or next month when I go there. You, you're, in your heart, you're envisioning it and you're preparing for it in the same way as you are envisioning about some vacation or some activity. It's in the same way, envision what it's going to be like eternity. In closing, we must never confuse the purity of our heart from outward conformity to rules. It's not about rules. Some people have a problem with rules, and some people are very legalistic. And they start judging other people, saying, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to follow this, and you need to follow that. It's not about rules. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. They were legalistic. You see? It's not about conformity with the rules, but it's about Jesus helping us to make 
a heart pure. Amen? Only one day, one day Jesus will appear and take us home, and he will be, make us like him. And that is our hope. First John, if you turn to the next slide, he says this. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You see, one day, one day, we will be pure. And that is where we place our hope. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have taught us this morning. And Jesus, you have pointed out the most critical aspect of our lives. And that has to do with the heart. Father, if any one of us, beginning with me, if our heart is not right, if our heart condition is not right, I ask that you would do a major heart surgery. If our attitude is not right, if we have something or someone else in our heart rather than you, then I ask that you will remove it. Father, if there's anything that is hindering us from drawing closer to you, I pray that you will remove it. Father, I pray that we will be obedient like Abraham. If you point out that there is something or someone or some attitude that is not right and does, that, does not belong in our heart, as you commanded to remove it, we will be obedient like Abraham and go to your altar and sacrifice it and remove it. And then and only then you will intervene and then you will make a heart pure. As David, King David cried out after murdering Uriah, after have, committing adultery with Bathsheba, he went to your altar and he repented, created me a clean heart. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And that may be the prayer that some of us need to pray this morning. Create in me a clean heart. Restore unto me the joy of the eye's salvation. Father, I pray, help us to have a pure heart so that we will be blessed and that we will see God. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Yes. We bless you, Lord. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.